Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine Podcast Radio. You're about to listen to a new Redefining Technology podcast. Standing on two feet, having dexterous hands, developing a language that allows us to communicate, and the ability to understand abstract concepts. These are all part of the equation of humanity. Still, it is the capacity to create tools and advance the technology that has allowed us to thrive on this planet and maybe on others. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com. CrowdSec, the collaborative and open source cybersecurity solution. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the internet safer together. Learn more at crowdsec.net. Marco. Sean. I'm, I'm feeling divided. You are? You're the great divide? <laughs> the great divide? I'm great at something, then. I'm, I'm the great divider. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this this particular conversation uh, is, has been a few months in the works, and we finally pulled it together, and now is the perfect time to have this chat about the Rural Tech Fund. And uh, we have Chris Sanders on and Liz Wharton on. Thank you both for joining us to tell us about what you're doing to bridge the digital divide. Thanks for having us. We're glad to be here. Yeah, thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. This is a hot topic. I, I, I'm glad that Shana, you started yeah. with the divide because uh, we, we talked about data divide, democratization, digital divide, and technology, in my opinion, from a societal perspective, should be the, the big uh, unifier, the one that level things. And, and I think it took a little bit, but I have the feeling we the are. Divisions, the unification. That. Yeah, it's a you know saying, that's the division that's, is unification. That's humanity. We always do some dichotomy here and there, but let, let's see if we can get the gap getting a little bit closer. And I know Liz and Chris, uh, you're doing so much about it. But first of all, how about to hear who you are and then you tell us what you do? So, Liz, let's start with you, which you're not new to the show. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> no, and really the heavy lifting is being done by Chris. He created a spark, but I have the privilege, um, in addition to my day job in helping run a startup, of volunteering both time, money, energy, and uh, guilt tripping everyone else I know to do the same to the Rural Tech Fund. So I, about a year ago, joined their brand new board and have been doing my best to help move forward uh, Chris's work. So I'm going to let him take the, the big, yeah, big reveal, so to speak, but yeah. Well, that's a lot of pressure now. Um, not, not, yeah. not new to ITSP either, but uh, we're happy to have you on for this. 
Yeah, I'm glad, glad to be here. Um, yeah, so for folks that don't know me, I'm Chris Sanders. I'm the director, kind of founder of the Rural Technology Fund. Um, I know this is kind of a tech-oriented podcast, and I think folks who know me know about the Rural Tech Fund. Um, if they don't know about the RTF, they may know me from some of my other work. Uh, I'm also a tech author. Um, I wrote uh, a few books, Practical Packet Analysis, Applied Network Security Monitoring, and Building Intrusion Detection Honeypots, and um that's often the thing that bridges people um, who might meet me in a tech space to the work with the RTF. So, yeah. Well, let's just get into it, uh, Chris. Oh, go ahead, Liz. Bad. Oh, no, I was just going to say, Chris, Chris is always, <laughs> he's just so humble um, about the work he's been doing. I mean, if you've been to any of the B-sides or any of the events down in uh, Georgia or around there, uh, you have probably run into either a fundraiser or the stickers or the swag. Well, let's, nice. uh, I have to get let, my hands let's, on the stickers. That's let, let's, uh, let's reveal more then. Come on. Don't, don't be hum yeah. too humble, right. especially when it comes to, they're stick always, it to they're always with, with, within reach. I just, I can stick it right on the camera out there, but uh, <laughs> I never go, I never go far without the RTF stickers around. I was going to say, that's a, uh, the camera covers are an entirely different privacy discussion, uh, but really one of the best ways to highlight where the work is, and by the way, they uh, through RTF, we've touched students and classrooms and teachers in all 50 states and have really where best thing I got to do was Chris sent me a request. So teachers reach out to Rural Tech Fund, to Chris, and ask, hey, we've got a need. Either our students aren't able to access, they want to learn something. Maybe they don't have the money through the school district to buy the licenses for a platform. Maybe they can't afford a 3D printer. Or in my area of fun, I got to take a bunch of micro drones up to Tacoa, Georgia, which um, if I admitted I had a lead foot would be about an hour and a half drive, but sure, we'll go with that. I definitely went the speed limit, went almost to the state border to a school that of a classroom of third graders and brought with me the map of the airport, the airfield, and some drones and said, okay, how many of y'all have ever been on an airplane? And out of 30 students, maybe four, raised their hand. And I was like, okay, well, how many of y'all have ever been to an airport? Not that you flew, but, and it's like started this conversation and brought into context for these students who would have had no, you know, who knows how long before they would have to say, look, these are some of the things that we do with technology at airports, with aircrafts. Here's what unmanned systems look like. Come fly them, come, you know, touch, feel, get to know this space and just have this experience. And all because teacher reached out, I think with that classroom, uh, we'd also donated a 3D printer, taught them how to use it, teaching them how to do stuff. But if you think of all the areas outside of metropolitan areas throughout the U.S. and you know, not just the mainland, you know, 48, 
there's there's some big gaps. I mean, we joke about politics being different depending on where you are. Just imagine these children who are trying to learn where they don't have necessarily access to broadband, uh, to Wi-Fi that we take for granted. Or one of the new projects that they launched this year was assistive technology. So maybe they have a computer, maybe they have stuff at home, but they can't use it as you or I would. So, sorry. If you can't tell, I love this and I will get on a soapbox. And how many hours did you say we have today? We have five hours to record. Excellent. That's all. So we'll, now, well, you bring all this story. And honestly, ahead, this, this is great. And, and what Liz mentioned in describing the, this process of her going, going to Tacoa and to speaking at this kind of career day thing. First of all, that's exactly why I, when I was thinking about creating this advisory board, Liz was, was my first, uh, first call because one, she cares about this issue. Uh, and two, she's willing to kind of just drop everything on somewhat short notice and, and bring a bunch of drones and show them to kids and teach them and introduce them uh, about technology. Um, and three, she's good at a lot of things I'm not, which is what you want in an advisory board. You want people to bring those skills and expertise. So I'm really glad to, to have her um, helping us pursue this mission. But, um, you know, Sean, I think one of the things you mentioned kind of right at the top was, was travel and being on both coasts. And, um, you know, I was born in uh, very rural West Kentucky, um, a little town called Mayfield. Um, I think until maybe about last year, probably nobody had ever really heard of Mayfield unless you're from there. Uh, unfortunately, it was hit with a pretty devastating tornado, um, made national news, and that's where a lot of people ended up hearing about Mayfield. Um, not the way I wanted people to learn about my hometown, but nevertheless, um, you know, I was born there, grew up there, but I've been very fortunate because of my career to be able to travel quite a bit, um, certainly internationally, but definitely within the U.S., um, most of the states, most corners of the country. And throughout my travels, pretty quickly when I was fairly young, I really recognized this thing that I say a lot, that talent is distributed equally, but opportunity is not, right? There's a lot of talented kids with lots of potential in all of these places, um, you know, whether it's Mayfield, Kentucky, or any of these other little small towns. And honestly, you know, I don't care what urban or suburban environment someone lives in, they're probably no more than half an hour, 45 minutes from someplace that's actually pretty darn rural, right? So these aren't places that are geographically just in crazy distance from a lot of people. But there's a lot of, you know, a lot of talent in that area, a lot of kids who um, have potential to do a lot of great things and deserve those opportunities, right? And that's a lot of the reason the Rural Technology Fund exists. Um, I have a distinct memory of, of sitting in uh, my high school gym when I was a senior. It was Honors Day. That's where they, um, they come in and they announce and award scholarships to kids who are going and doing different things. Um, so, you know, I remember sitting there and I was interested in computers. I was kind of the only kid who did that sort of thing at the time in my school. Um, knew that's what I wanted to do. And, you know, I'm sitting there and they announce scholarships for people who are going into business or education or agriculture, basically every subject you could think of, except computers, except technology, right? There was nothing um, at that time. And that's gotten a little bit better. But when you think about it, why would there have been a scholarship for that at the time? Who's going to offer it? There are no technology companies in the area. That's who you expect to do it. Um, a lot of the other companies in the area were really focused on their niche, the thing that they do. They weren't really focused on tech, so it wasn't really within their you know, means or, or kind of idea space to do that. So it just wasn't going to happen. And what was happening in Mayfield, Kentucky at the time is what was happening in all the rural areas. Every one of those rural areas had one of me. They had one of me who wanted to get into tech and do those different things. Um, and it's, it's honestly just thanks to a few teachers who really cared about me, some persistence some privilege and some luck that I was able to, to do some successful things and get into tech and make a career and, and be successful at it. 
So it's that memory that kind of led me to start the Rural Tech Fund, um, that memory of sitting on an honors day and, and there's just being nothing for me, very little opportunity. Um, and that was, um, you know, that was when I graduated high school. And then in 2008, we started it. And the very first thing we were initially before we were working within schools or with teachers, or with librarians was a scholarship fund, you know, just scholarships for kids from rural areas who are pursuing tech um, and kind of their secondary education. So how do you work with uh, with the other states? We other look at, I mean, I look at the map. If you go on the website, you can see the map. You're, you know, in a lot of places, 800 plus school, 150,000 students, 50 states. Is that another you there, your clone, or the, your your other person that is like you? Are you, or are you wearing how, your shoes down to the nuts? Yeah. Or what's going on? How, how do you how do you replicate what you do in a small area in another uh, rural area? Yeah, you know, so for a long time it was just me. We started in two thousand eight, and for for several years it was just scholarships. And I always said from the beginning we wanted to measure the impact that, that the the fund had by the number of students that, that we help, right? That's why we still do that on the website as we, we count the number of students who we've reached. Um, so the first year it was one, the second year it was two, then it was four, then it was eight. And then it was just scholarships for a while. And then we really started focusing on kind of expanding that, growing that. Um, and really, again, it just me at the time. And so basically I just put it out there and said, if you are a rural teacher in a classroom and want to teach your kids about some form of computer technology, you know, that that's somewhat broad. Uh, it could be computer science, IT, uh, network security, uh, even robotics, 3D printing. If you want to do any of those things, here's a form to fill out. Tell me what you want to do. And if it's a good idea, I'll work with you and we'll give you some money and help you do it. Um, and that's, you know, putting something like that out there is, is really people think, well, that, you know, I would just have tons and tons of those applications. Not so much. Like it takes a long time to connect with these folks in rural areas, right? That's a whole big part of the, of the work of this job is finding the places and, and making sure that those teachers can connect with us and know where to find us. And, you know, Google search only works so well sometimes, right? So a lot of work into that. But um, yeah, for the for the most part, that that was me working with people directly for for many many years. Um, a few years ago, I, you know, I realized that I could certainly keep doing that. It's somewhat of a similar pace, but to grow the thing, the organization needed to grow. Um, so with that, um, a little over a year ago, I hired uh, uh, Claire Cops Williams, who is our um, our COO. So she was kind of our first full-time employee. Along with that, that's when we set up the advisory board. Um, a lot of great folks on there, Liz, of course, included. Um, we brought in, we kind of named one of our existing volunteers as our CTO, grew the organization that way, um, and have a couple of volunteers working with us as well. So that's basically a long-winded way of saying, yes, for a long time, it was me and I had to replace my shoes every couple of months because the soles were certainly getting worn down. Um, now, a lot more people helping in a lot of unique ways and we're able to do a lot more. And I loved your story earlier, Liz, and it, it kind of triggers a thought for me of, um, especially when we have this kind of conversation of, of what's possible. Oftentimes, they don't even know what's possible if, if they're on the other side of the, of the divide, right, and where they can't access information easily and readily and, and get to an airport to see it, to, to watch yeah. planes and helicopters and drones and whatever else. Um, so I'm wondering how how do we bridge that? How how are you helping to bridge that, perhaps, um, so that they know what to ask you for when they say, "Here's something we want to do. We believe there's an opportunity in this area because of X, Y, and Z, and this technology will help us to not just this individual student, but perhaps our community and and our and our uh, city or whatever." And 
I love some of the like some of the work when uh, Chris is connected with a school and with a teacher. It's not this isolated kind of like here you go, thank you, one and done. It's connecting them. And Chris, I'm going to forget the specific town, but it really struck me up in Alaska. There was a classroom that reached out and said had a bunch of students, and so it wasn't just providing them in this, what, two-room schoolhouse uh, where K through 12 is all in the same building and really all in the same rooms. But you have these high school students. It was here. Here's a subscription to the platform. But here's the experts, you know, including Chris. Like, here are the people who wrote the books that did the things. And they gave their time to just brainstorm with the students and teach and talk to them. And I think that's the connection, moving it from something you see on TV, something you see in a video game to saying, oh no, hi, I'm, I'm the person behind that. Let me tell you about my journey, but also let me tell you about the things, the ways I approach these problems or I did this. And it brings that human, it bridges the human divide and so that it's not just, it's machine technology ideas connecting that I think right. is the big difference. Yeah. And, and I'd love to hear some more. I mean, Chris, go ahead. But if you, maybe you're going there, but some, some other example, like the, the Alaska one, the airport, I mean. You know, yeah. Yeah. So the, the town that Liz mentioned is uh, Anvik, Alaska. And it's, um, it's one of those towns that you probably haven't heard about it unless you're maybe really familiar with the Iditarod. Uh, the, the dog sled race. And that's relevant because the only way to get to Anvik, Alaska is by, uh, by plane, boat, or dog sled. Can't take a car there. Uh, so very small town, mostly a native population. And the school, the schoolhouse, you know, I think they have one teacher. I know they have one teacher. And I think they have anywhere from maybe like 10 to 15 kids at a time. Uh, and that's all. That's K-12. That's the whole thing. The whole town is only, you know, 100 or 150 people. Um, that swells a little bit when the Iditarod's coming through for sure, but there's not a lot there. And the teacher found us, got in touch with us and said, Hey, I have a couple kids who are really interested in learning about coding. They think that's just something is neat. They want to learn about it. They don't know yet if that's what they want to do for a living, but they're interested in it. And, you know, I don't know how to, how to do that. I don't know how to give them the things they need and certainly don't have the money to buy those things. And, you know, the thing I'll say here is that really in every project we do, you know, we try to help make it happen. We really see ourselves in a supporting role because the superstar in every one of these projects is the teacher or in some cases, the librarian that we're working with, right? We don't take on a project unless we really have a highly uh, motivated uh, can-do attitude teacher who's, who's like leading this thing, right? And that, I mean, most of them come to us, right? So a lot of them are certainly, um, that's certainly kind of the sorts of folks that they are. And, and teachers are amazing right and, and all of them are amazing some of them are are tremendously amazing and so we get to work with a lot of great folks like this and you know this teacher had the initiative to come and reach out to us and say i want to do this thing i need the help can you help me i have some ideas of my own and that's how most of you know most teachers don't come to us and say i want to do x i don't have i don't have anything they usually say i want to do x i've done all this research i'm thinking about this i'm thinking about that sometimes they'll send us an equipment list here are the exact things i need right and we just need someone to help make it happen um so we kind of, you know, kind of entertain both where we can. Sometimes it's just giving them the funding and the things they need and maybe connecting them to a little bit of curriculum here and there as, as necessary or connecting them to other teachers. But a lot of the times it's like, I want to teach my kids programming or robotics or something else. And I have some of these ideas, 
right? So with, with this teacher, we, um, you know, we took and we basically got together a couple of kits, some like Raspberry Pi, like microcomputers, um, some curriculum and things to go along with that, a few different books that um, some they were interested in, some we were interested in that we knew would help them um, and sent those there. And sure enough, certainly the two or three kids who were interested in it started coding, but then all the other ones started seeing them doing it. And now like the whole school's doing it. And this is all the way from, from like first grade to, to high school um, being interested in it. And, you know, the power of, of that in a, in a town like Envic, Alaska is massive, right? Cause you can imagine there's, there's not a lot of industry in a town with a hundred, 150 people. Right. So very, you know, all these folks are living below the poverty level, certainly the poverty level for, for this area of Alaska. And so then you imagine a kid learns about programming, gets a coding job. Most of these jobs can now be worked remotely. They can work this job. They have internet, suitable internet in this town, thanks to some satellite connections. And they earn this high salary and they're going to spend it in the community. Right. So at this point, we're not, you know, the whole thing isn't just lifting up one person, one family. It's lifting up the whole town. Right. One or two people spending a, a six figure salary in this community. That's a game changing type deal. Um, and it, it's work I'm, I'm certainly very proud to be involved with. And, um, you know, and you talk about some some folks who are just like ingenuity and inventive. I mean, they had an issue in the town for a few days where like the internet just wasn't working. Right. And this is a big deal because they rely on the internet for a lot of things up there. And what they realized was that they had, the, you know, they had this big satellite dish that is what allows their internet to come in. And what they found, it was not working mostly at night. It turns out they had a light that shined on the satellite <laughs> dish and the light was drawing bugs to it. And the, like the dense cloud of bugs was so thick that that's what was disrupting there the was thing. a bug in the system. Literally, <laughs> more, 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 more than one, apparently. Yeah. And so they, they figured out, oh, we'll just turn this light off and everything's fine. Oh, wow. It's great. That's cool. I don't know. You, you mentioned connecting teachers with other teachers. How, how, how or not, not relevant, how likely or how often does that happen where I can see this kind of network of, network effect of people connecting with each other and somebody doing coding, another one, another one doing uh, cybersecurity, another one looking at networking or whatever. Right. Yeah. And it, uh, you know, certainly more and more before really up until a few years ago, that was again, very much me like making these little ad hoc connections here and there. Um, thanks to Claire coming on board, we're able to formalize a lot more of that and, we've got some better things in place, right? Like, so, so right off the bat, anybody we uh, fund their project or help them, like we have like a Facebook group that, that we pull them into and everybody can kind of communicate openly there. And that's been a good thing. We also still make some targeted um, connections. Like, you know, we have a, a teacher who gets like Ozobots for elementary school kids and they're kind of new to it. We ask them like, Hey, do you feel comfortable? Like, or do you want some, some help? And most of them will say like, we could use all the help we can get. So then we'll connect them to two or three other teachers um, that, uh, that have had the same thing and we've seen have success with it. Cause we do get follow-ups from most of the folks we, we donate to and work with, um, you know, in that way. Um, we're also creating some more kind of targeted communities right from the get-go. Uh, one of the things that we've been doing this year, uh, we've got a really cool blog post coming out about this next week is we sponsored five schools to start their first ever competitive robotics teams. Um, so there are a lot of these competitions to be found all over the place. The ones we're working with is uh, first robotics. They have a, a Lego robotics thing for, for younger kids and, and, you know, like a full blown, like robotics competition for older kids where they're building these things from scratch and the things they come up with are amazing. Um, so we've got these five teams, uh, 
we kind of found them all independently, but now like they're all kind of connected in, in this group where they can work with each other. They're all, they're all going through similar stuff, right? They're all starting these clubs. They have similar issues, you know, eating everything down to not just technology, but logistical issues of like, well, do you meet after school? Do you do it as a part of a class? Uh, when you recruit, how do you arrange your recruitment? Uh, you know, we want to recruit more girls into the program. How are you doing that? And how are you having success? Those sorts of things. So by kind of creating some of these communities intentionally from the get go, that's been a pretty successful thing. And certainly with these uh, these RTF robotics sponsor teams, we're kind of tracking them for the next couple of years and posting like social media updates and blog posts and sharing pictures of how they're doing and their success as they, you know, prepare and get ready to compete and do all those things. All right. So I'm going to take this and turn it to Liz because I don't even know how many conversation about diversity and inspiration and role models and mentorship we had in the past, mostly most of the time about cybersecurity, but here is technology. So I talk to people that, you know, end up dreaming about becoming astronauts, becoming uh, a scientist or anything, an inventor. Many times it's because there is somebody that in the family, maybe uh, a person that they know laterally, they inspire, they read a book. Sometimes inspiration can come in many forms. But I think that we can do a lot more to not only to have the teacher that come to you, but to have the kids that, that go to the teacher to say, I found out about this, despite maybe the family not being in the tech business or mm -hmm. anything like that, and, and, and bring uh, diversity, uh, people with disabilities and, and so forth. So I, I was reading that the organization is quite involved in that as well. So can you give us something about this particular topic? Oh, absolutely. And one of the, one of my favorite projects to watch grow is something, again, going to the assistive technology, because that has been something I have watched even uh, for a long time with friends who worked for the state of Georgia and all the different research going into, well, okay, how do we bring, you know, close that divide for students or individuals who are capable in every other way, but there's just a gap that needs to be, you know, needs a little bit of help. So that this year, Chris and Claire have started the assistive technology, or really just grown it. But beyond that as well, have worked with, uh, you, you talked about books, you know, they it, watching even the whole board kind of get together where different teachers and different experts in education are pointing out like, hey, this book and this series of books, how can we make these available? Because again, it's not about us coming in and saying, you need this. But as you talked about, Marco, like it's really the, the students, the community, the teachers saying, hey, we know where some of the gaps are can you just help us fill it? Like either I need a student that needs to be able to do this, can, you know, is there a way to help fund the technology that can help do that? Or, Hey, we don't have a lot of women um, about this. Perhaps you could send someone down up to Tacoa, Georgia and talk about nerding out, which one of my favorite questions uh, from the students was, of course, you know, we're talking about all kinds of technology was they wanted to know, I mean, they were some like, like graphic little minds because they're like, oh, well, 
you know, what happens if the plane crashes in the middle of the airport? And, you know, I was like, well, we have sensors, we have this, we have this, but they were like ready to like, everyone's going to die in an explosion. <laughs> but they want to know what the technology does for that. And I would have, if you had told me going in, oh, good thing you're bringing an aerial map um, of the airfield, because they're really going to know about the first response, like emergency technology. I would have thought they wanted to know about like, what are the cool things you can do at the gate or what can you do here? It's like, no, they'll let you know where they need it or what they're curious about. So, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll add on there. Just, just talking about kind of diversity and bringing more folks in. I mean, I think, I think most folks realize, I mean, if you live in a rural area, you're more likely to uh, you're more likely to be unemployed. You're more likely to get sick and you're more likely to live in poverty. Right. And the thing I tell folks about poverty is that poverty charges interest. If you can't afford to get a toothache looked at, you're going to have to pay for, you know, an extraction or a root canal later. If your air conditioner is leaking or making a noise, can't afford to have it fixed, but you're going to have to pay for a new one or do without later. Right. And then, you know, also you're having to take days off work for those things. Right. Like when you're in a state of poverty, all these things compound and, and the interest causes you to drive further into that. Um, now let's consider the different types of folks that live in rural areas. If you're a person of color or, you know, a person from a native population or a woman or anybody from any of these typically underrepresented groups in, in tech, you got that to deal with too. And, all, you know, and you got the lack of role models in your life. Right. I know. I mean, I mean, let's be honest, like I'm a, I'm a white dude living in America, so I'm, I'm steeped in all sorts of, of privilege here. But, you know, I certainly didn't have any role models that were like me when I was a kid, um, you know, in, in really any way that I could reach out to. I mean, and what happens when you have that happening as well, you your role models become the people you see on TV and you get all these these kind of weirdos who like you only see the part of them that like they want you to see. And, and that leads to all kinds of bad, all kinds of weird stuff politically and all that nonsense. So, you know, role models need to be real people, right? They need to be real people that are accessible. Um, so, you know, when you look at stuff like, like Liz going to, to Tacoa, right? So here, all these kids are going to see someone. I mean, think about little girls, right? The little girls who are there, who they meet Liz, who's like in every sense of the word is a badass and who's a lawyer and does all this tech stuff and, and knows all this about drones and can talk about planes exploding, like with, with like knowledge of how this would be handled. Um, like Liz is a role model and, and Liz is a role model for everybody, but particularly for folks who see her and they're like, well, I'm a girl from, from Georgia and, and she kind of looks like me and, you know, sounds like me, right? Like the accent, like she sounds like me. And um, that's like life-changing stuff for people because they see that and they realize like, you know, my my dad's a coal miner and his dad was a coal miner and all the people I know are coal miners or whatever the local industry is, farmers, what have you. And then they say, well, this person does this. So, you know, maybe I can do it too. And then, then that's where, you know, potentials for mentorship and opportunities come up because they can talk to Liz or, or, or even recognize there are other people you know, who, uh, like her, like that and talk to them and say, well, how did you do it? Learn more about their story. Right. And, you know, certainly, Liz's story is not everyone else's story, but they can mimic parts of it and, and build in their own parts. And um, that's how careers and lives and families and communities are changed. So I think that's very powerful stuff. And I, I love that you're talking about it being relatable. And, and I don't know if you can expand more on the, the mentor part of the program, um, because what you, what you described to me is a, 
a place that's safe to think and dream. And in your, in your description, Liz, they, they had their mind open and they knew what they wanted to ask you and it had threw you <laughs> off guard, right? It wasn't something you were expecting. I doubt the teachers were expecting that as well. And I guess my point is it, it's a safe space for these kids to, to think and explore and to dream and, and to see, well, what is this thing in my head? How does it to where I could go and how can I use technology to get there? And then I, mean, I presume some of your mentors help, help uh, have those conversations, right? Yeah. And I think it's, it, it's really going back to, there's not, we're not putting the parameters on their asks. It's we're not setting like, oh, these are, these are the, you know, this is the lane you have to stay in. Like, we're only going to do this or we're only going to do that. It's more, you tell us like where, what, you know, what, what strikes your fancy? What, what do your students, what does your classroom need and we'll go from there. Like we'll help build, but letting them be the drivers. And because once you start putting those, you know, the roadblocks, but also the guardrails and everything, and you're conforming them to the vision that you have. And I don't live in that community. You know, I don't know. I can't presume to, you know, sure. I'll tell you about whatever you want. Like I can tell talk to you about jamming. I can talk to you about this and, you know, oh, you're only in third grade. You don't know. It's like, no, they knew a lot. Uh, and we're definitely better little designers and kind of dreamers and makers than I ever had or ever was. So that's know, really cool. Yeah. And everybody is born curious, right? We all have yeah. curiosity, the desire to know. Um, as we get on into life, there, there's things that happen in our lives. And we become adults that, that kind of stifle our curiosity. Um, but a lot, uh, most kids, they haven't experienced that yet. So they're, they're insanely curious. And, um, you know, there's a lot of ways curiosity can be, can be handled by like adults in their life. Um, you know, if a kid is really curious and ask about a thing, well, one is, is kind of ignorance is, is I don't know anything about that thing. So sorry, I don't know what to, to say here. Um, the other is, well, you know, fear, right? When you think about when someone doesn't understand something, they often fear it. And, and particularly in areas where, where people are less, uh, less access to technology, a little bit behind in that technology, they're certainly going to fear it. So, you know, a kid comes up and asks about, well, you know, could someone, you know, use jamming to, to crash an airplane into an airport or, or something like that? You know, a lot of adults in, in, in particularly in some rural areas are going to be like, I don't, you know, one, I don't know what to say to that, but two, I don't want to talk about it. Like I'm comfortable talking about it. Um, but I know who is comfortable talking about it is, is Liz Wharton. And um, to say, you know, and regardless, you know, replace any technology here, whether it's, you know, you know, hacking, like people hacking into things like, well, I'm comfortable talking about that. I'm not scared of that. I have lots of friends who are not scared to talk about that too, in a constructive way. Cause I think, you know, we work in the tech industry. I'm not scared of technology. I'm, I'm very scared of people and the things they can do with the technology, but I'm, I'm not scared of the technology itself. That can be as much a force for good as it can be a force for evil. Um, and so, you know, when you connect folks like us to, to those folks and those teachers, and we can kind of enlighten them a little bit. And most of them are really open to that sort of thing. And then they can pass that on. And now you've got all these kids who, you know, understand that people can do bad things with technology, but there's also all these tremendous good things that can be done too. And I think that's valuable. Yeah. Before we wrap, I want to, I want to ask you both something that is more the conversation with the adults and also the time changing. And we all 
I mean, Sean and I are covering CES in Las Vegas in, in January, and we went to see like, oh, what are the topics are interesting? It's like food technology, agricultural technology, space technology. I mean, the technology is everywhere, right? So when you're talking about the mining community or the rural community, what is the approach of people that do work in rural industry that um, they must know that technology is coming in and maybe bringing their kids into that and the teacher playing a big role into it could be even that extra fuel for for this to happen so do you have this kind of conversation too yeah absolutely and you know really anytime there's a chance to connect you know when we're going to teach the kids about technology it shouldn't just be for technology's sake technology really should only exist if it makes people's lives better right and and you're going to want to do that in the community of the people that you live with and there's a lot of ways to approach that you know we've had folks who build um like gardens and they're using raspberry pies to like build a sensor that like monitors the water level right and then that garden they they can use it and they learn about gardening but they also share the food that comes from it with the community right um a project comes to mind um from uh last year where we funded a project um in uh, New Mexico. And this was on a reservation. <clears throat> and the students were learning about sensors and collecting data and doing things with that. And they took the equipment that we provided and built air quality sensors. And this is really relevant because if you remember, there are a lot of wildfires in the area at the time. So this gave them an opportunity to build these sensors and kind of deploy them around the community. And they were basically able to be able to like detect when winds were shifting and the smoke was coming in and, you know, it might cause issues with, with people with like breathing problems and things of that nature. Um, really valuable. Also just super fun and really neat to build something like that. Um, and like be able to detect these smoke particulates that you can't see or yet smell, right. But the, the machines can. Um, so that had direct meaningful impact. So anytime there's an opportunity to do something like that, um, you know, that's, I think that's that's everything that technology should should be is meaningful and bettering people's lives. And I think it's a really fascinating point of it that you think, okay, we're coming in. These teachers are asking these school students need so much and it's going to be super expensive. And at the end of the day, you know, five dollars a student actually covers most of these projects, if not all of them. And so what I admittedly have spent on uh, like maybe half a cup of coffee this morning, uh, you know, <laughs> makes such a big difference. And that's kind of the other thing that's grounding is, huh, by doing this or that, like this little bitty thing. And uh, Chris is about to kick off uh, one of the fundraisers which uh, he's done how many years now we've done or golden this ticket is the third, year. third year third year and so really engaging the community so the work that y'all do uh you know with itsp and all these things reaching out to the community to kind of re-engage them to let them know like hey something you're going to take for granted you're going to think is silly or didn't like here's a way for you to help and broaden both that base but also like we didn't all come from a perfect, you know, uh, townhouse in the middle of an, or like the, Hey, remember back home, like maybe reach out to your communities where you're from and connect some of these teachers. We all know someone who could benefit from it. And that's just a way to get engaged. So it's not just getting the students engaged, the teachers engaged, but also the technology community. 
so yes, we will be hitting y'all up to, um, (laughs) well, let's help out. Let's go there. I want to give you some space to talk about the golden ticket, uh, fundraiser and other things, because I suspect money is key. Um, but there's more, more to the program than that as well. Um, perhaps getting the technology straight without having to take money and buy it might be helpful. So maybe yeah. kind of tell us what, what you need to continue to succeed and, and grow, Chris. Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's a few things. I mean, certainly, I mean, money is, is one of the biggest things, right? Um, you know, Liz mentioned it about $5 a student is what it averages for these projects. And that's because, you know, we're donating things not to just an individual student, but to a classroom or the entire school or the, the uh, library makerspace type deal. Um, so we really promote that sort of access. Um, so that goes a long way. Um, basically, we have way more applications for funding and help than we can respond to and, and or at least approve and do something with. So the more money we bring in, the more we can we can support and the more kids we can reach and impact. It's as simple as that. Um, we are a 501c3, um, so we're a tax-deductible organization. Um, RuralTechFund.org is the website, which I'm sure you know will be shared elsewhere. Um, so we can you can straight up donation. We also have um, a fundraiser going on right now, which Liz mentioned called the Golden Ticket Fundraiser. Um, it's kind of Willy Wonka theme. The idea is um, basically you donate $20. It can be uh, $20 to us, the Rural Technology Fund, or $20 to your local food bank. Uh, we do that because RTF is U.S. based and, and international folks, they may not be, they may not care. So they may want to donate to their food bank. Um, so either way, donate $20 to RTF or a food bank, forward your receipt to an email address uh, we specify, and you basically get a ticket, uh, an entry into, into this thing. Um, at the end of it, you know, you can do that as many times as you want. So if you buy, you donate a hundred dollars, you get five entries. Uh, at the end of this, we, we draw for this grand winner. The winner gets um, a whole lot of stuff. They get access to all of my training courses that I teach online. Um, they get access to, uh, they get a copy of signed copy of all the books I've written. They get $500 to spend kind of on a tech book shopping spree, where they can get kind of any tech or career book that they want to get. Um, our, our friends at Dragos offered a, a seat in their course, their ICSOT course that they teach. Um, so lots of things like that. It's like it's a tremendous amount of like knowledge and, and stuff, which kind of is in line with everything else we do. Um, so uh, folks can enter that through um, December 20th. It's ruraltechfund.org slash golden ticket has all the details. Also has a picture of me wearing a, a really wonka suit where I look absolutely ridiculous. And I can't believe Claire talks me into doing that. But um, <laughs> these are the things we do for, for the for the organizations we love. Um, so that's, that's, you know, money certainly helps and, and we, we need to raise money to keep doing what we're doing. Um, second thing, uh, people want to help who, who can't, you know, you know, can't contribute money, but they want to contribute time. Well, volunteers are always helpful, particularly when it comes to things like mentoring, doing things like what Liz did, where she went to the classroom and, and talked to her career day. Um, we do a lot of that virtually now. Um, so that's helpful, but certainly when we have someone who can come in and like, you know, take physical things with them or go to an area. And again, no matter where you live, you're probably 30, 45 minutes away from a rural area. But we maintain kind of a database of that. So if you know folks are interested in that, basically email me. We have you fill out a form and we just maintain that database. And when opportunities arise, we connect you with teachers and um, make those things happen. So there are opportunities for volunteering um, in that sort of way. Um, the last thing, kind of the, the third of these three points is uh, if you know a teacher in a rural area, and we mostly focus on teachers, but we also do this work in uh, uh, rural public libraries as well. So if you know a teacher, uh, a librarian who wants to do these things and needs help, please send them our way. Our application process is very simple. 
Um, we don't keep folks waiting for long. Uh, we don't make them jump through a bunch of hoops or red tape. It's, it's very simple and they can apply and um, we can have discussions with them and we do respond to everyone who applies. And that's both on the uh, rural technology side and the uh, assistive technology side for, for kids with disabilities. So a lot of those will be uh, like speech language folks or special education teachers, things of that nature. And one of the things to keep in mind uh, is for anyone who's uh, contemplating participating in the golden ticket, you don't have to keep the books yourself, pay it forward. Um, if you think, oh, I've already taken all these courses. Well, you can donate that course to, oh, I don't know, perhaps like uh, maybe the Black Girls in Cyber, or Black Girls Who Hack, or Markush on any of the projects y'all worked with, you might know some people who could benefit and couldn't already, you know, pay for it themselves. Like pay it forward. Um, just for $20, you get to know, uh, you know, what you can do. And, and this is also where uh, Marco Sean is people who work in the industry and get to know a lot about technology, you know, you talking to some students and getting them excited about, hey, here's how to do what we do. We help run one of the, you know, premier podcasts that, you know, stuff like that, that you don't think necessarily, oh, that's like, I'm glad someone else is volunteering or donating or doing stuff. This really isn't for me, but it is. And that's how we like to connect those dots, not with only with the students, but also with the community. Well, well I'm going to make it. Students want to know about. I'm going to make an open invitation here then to come back in the new year, bring a couple of students, maybe yeah. even a, a teacher that you work with, and we can have a nice conversation because I, I'm actually part of a, an organization called the Mentor Project. So. I've learned a few things about that. And there is unbelievable people there that, that contribute to that. And, and it's just like one little thing, right? It's kind of like you have a platform, please use it right. Okay, you have power in there. Even if you change one person's life, it's a conversation worth to have. So I would love to bring some kids and, and ask them this question, right? So that's that's gonna happen it's uh let's make this plan and uh sean i i think the call to action has been done we will have notes to connect with you guys and to the organization um and of course we're gonna post this on social media so follow redefining technology the goal is exactly this use technology for good not just do it because we can but because there is a reason and we can change lives. So I'm uh, really honored to, to have you guys on and uh, looking forward to have you again. Thank you, Thank you so, so much. much. We appreciate the opportunity. CrowdSec, the collaborative and open source cybersecurity solution. Analyze behaviors, respond to attacks, and share signals across the community for free. Let's make the internet safer together. Learn more at crowdsec.net. Devo unlocks the full value of machine data for the world's most instrumented enterprises. The Devo Data Analytics Platform addresses the explosion in volume of machine data and the crushing demands of algorithms and automation. Learn more at devo.com.
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Technology Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.